This podcast is sponsored by Kulabula, creators of websites, animation, and digital art. To get a 10% discount, go to kulabula.com and put in the discount code SPEAKING. Speaking Podcast. You can find all our episodes on speakingpodcast.com. We're also on BitChute and YouTube at Speaking Podcast. I also have the Awakening Podcast, the Learn Polish Podcast, Meditation Podcast, and the new Crypto Podcast. And all can be found on RoyCon.com. Today, my guest, please welcome Dr. Fujan Zane. Fujan? Fujan. <laughs> so, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Roy. It's great to be with you from United States. We covering all uh, all the nations. Exactly, exactly. So I always like uh, my guests to introduce themselves to the listeners. Of course, I've been a psychotherapist for about 30 years. Um, my license is a marriage and family therapy. I uh, specialize in um, intimate relationships, um, addictions, depression, anxiety, and just life skills, moving forward with life and creating um, a fulfilling life. And um, I'm also the originator of the awareness integration theory, which is a multidisciplinary theory that brings all the cognitive, emotional, body, and uh, behavioral therapies together. And uh, we kind of become aware of the present moment in the way we think, feel, behave, and have an impact uh, in our surrounding, and then also clear the past all the things that have happened, unfinished businesses, traumas, things that have happened in childhood and we kind of like carry on with each for ourselves and then kind of envisioning the future and, and uh, creating and co-creating the future moving forward. And um, I've written a couple of books, about five of them. And one of them is The Life Reset, which uh, has the same theory, awareness integration in a, um, as a self-help. So it has all the exercises in there and people can go through it. And then the latest is the awareness integration therapy, which this was written for the therapists, coaches, and um, educators um, who wanted to have this model and uh, work with their uh, clients. I actually have a question from one of my listeners because I had mentioned that I was getting on and they're a therapist themselves. And they had said, how can they stop all the chatter in their head because you know just knowing so much as well as kind of talking to the different clients that it becomes overwhelming is have you any advice for that oh absolutely um what happens is that you know you, you you're gonna have automatic thoughts they're all gonna show up uh, it's just they're like flickers you know it's like light showing up in your head and they're t- uh, words that are coming The point would be in focusing on one of them. And then as you focus on one, everything goes away. So for example, imagine that you are looking at me, but then you're looking at all of these things behind me, right? And then if you wanted to ignore everything that's behind me, you would focus, for example, on my eyes. And then as you focus on my eyes, everything else kind of blurs out and goes away for that moment of attention. That is why also there in meditation, 
meditation works a lot because that's exactly what you do. You focus your attention on one thing and let go of everything else. So when you're meditating, it's not like you're not focusing on every anything. You're actually focusing on a certain thing. So then you let go of everything else. So that's the best way to stop the chatter. But then the minute your focus is gone away, then other things, stimuli keeps coming again. So then it tells you that you need to focus on something. I usually say, can we focus on something positive versus going into something negative and really, you know, delving into negative? And Roy, what happens most of the time when you look at the amount of time people living in the present moment is minimal. Most of it, we live in the past, and then we predict the future from the past. Whatever happened before, we're going to predict to the future because that's what our brain does. Our brain is consistently doing predictions, you know, for the future. So the amount of time that you are in the present moment is very minimal. However, the present moment is the only moment you can do anything about. That's where the action happens. So it's how, how much you can bring your brain into either what is it that I can do right now? Or what is it that I want to focus on? Maybe learning something, bringing in something, or quieting my mind, or having an amazing conversation and uh, connecting to the person who's in front of me. So those are the present moment experiences where you can keep bringing yourself. And the more that you are within this moment of attention and focus and uh, connection, then you'll see that everything else around kind of buzzes away well with the meditation anyway i mean because i've got the meditation podcast i swear by meditation i mean i sleep like a baby and i don't have clutter and i get a lot more done because you get focused and i think yeah it's definitely uh something that people should investigate you know it's something that you don't have to spend sometimes people think you need to spend hours meditating and you can do it in one minute five minutes you can just just be present is, is basically what you're doing Absolutely. Yes. Unfortunately, when we have a lot of unfinished business of the past and traumas, it just keeps creeping in. It's almost like, you know, you put a child inside of a closet and it's constantly knocking at the door. Let me out. Let me out. So it keeps coming in in some way within your present moment, not to bother you, just for you to heal it, just for you to pay attention to it and clear it. So within this methodology, I've made sure that we look at some of these uh, past traumas or um, unfinished businesses that show up in every day. Like it shows up in your intimate relationship. It shows up in your friendships. It shows up at work. It shows up, you know, when you're sitting doing nothing and it suddenly shows up as negative thoughts and beliefs. So it's more of also how to handle, heal those, come from the present moment to that part of you and reminding that part of you that we got it, we survived. Look, you know, we passed through it. We didn't freeze time at that moment and, you know, stay in a powerless position. We've moved on. So it's more of how to integrate your, who you are today with the parts of you that kind of froze in different time zones because they, you know, they were in a position that at that time they, you felt powerless. So they kind of like froze. And it's almost like, can you get them out of the freezer, thaw them out and bring them back and make them yours? So you don't have to 
like I'm 60 years old. You don't have to, as a 60 year old, have a lot of these different inner children with you moving around. You can be a whole, you know, person at that age moving forward with all of your vulnerabilities, but more important, all of your strengths that you know, you've experienced and um, carried with you. Because like, I'm a firm believer that, you know, like the memory of pain poisons us. And by repeating a story, unless we've kind of given forgiveness, it, it's like you're reliving the moment. And I know that for myself, it was more of a financial loss that I went through, but I, by actually having forgiveness overcame it and then you're telling the story it doesn't even affect you you can even laugh about it but i see how it affects a lot of people and i'm wondering because i know unfortunately there's some counselors and they try to get the customer for life and they're just getting the person to sit down and tell their story but you know you mentioned previously about kind of concentrating on the positive and everything like there's obviously a lot of them that are doing it wrong because they're just kind of getting someone to relieve the mo you know relieve uh, re relive the moment go back into the depression and they're, they're not really coming away in a better place well all of the research has shown uh, exactly what you're saying which is we rebuilt memory consistently so every time we actually go back to a memory we're rebuilding it like a memory is not something that is fixed it is a rebuildable concept so it really does matter when we go back and how we go back and look at it and what we do and you're absolutely right that you know for myself for many many years as a therapist that's what we were taught we would go back to the memory the client would go in there and we would cry and cry and cry and just because we were releasing that we thought as a therapist that some were working at it we actually thought it, it's this is this is the model that it works because the client is going and releasing the emotion unfortunately if you're not releasing the belief system the negative core belief at that moment what did you make it mean for yourself you're not going to release that memory you're actually re-traumatizing yourself because you're going and Roy, to be honest with you, there were times when myself, I was going to therapy at the beginning and I was abused as a child. And every time we went back to the abuse, I felt more victimized. Yes, the therapists obviously are being compassionate, you know, telling me all and going through it with me. But it's important for the person not to think that, oh, my God, I'm such a victim. And then stay in that victimized stance. You know, things have happened. I have been victimized at that moment, but I'm not a victim. And sometimes it's important for us to come out of the trauma, you know, triumph that, that I survived it actually. And I wasn't the victim. And the way I survived it and the way that I took care of myself and all the ways that I coped, those are all my strengths. Those are my, shows my resiliency actually. So it's focusing on those aspects of how I endured it and how I came out of it and what I made of myself. Those are the pieces that we want to concentrate. And not only from a place of, you know, like uh, just positive thoughts, but going into actually realistic matters that I did in my life that were great that I was powerful at, that to me is what's wonderful and has to be looked at. And I'm sure when you were talking about 
you know, an, an ordeal that you had on a financial level. It was, it was traumatic on one sense. But if we go back to that time and after, we can pinpoint all of the strong points, all the great things you did, maybe even in different areas of your life that showed you as someone who was powerful. Absolutely. And I've got another question from, from a person as well, and it, it's an interesting one. And then I'll, I'll delve in because I want to talk about the speaking side as well, but I find this uh, really interesting and I think it helps a lot of people. Basically, somebody who's gone through a divorce and they're saying that they can't understand how there can be such love, compassion with somebody, you know, when you're dating, married, and then all of a sudden it's like just hatred. That you know, to go through that, how can they go through? Because they're going through it at the moment. And that, that's basically what they're trying to ask. Roy, relationships are, um, intimate relationships are the hardest relationship to have because somehow we have the highest level of expectation from them, right? They need to be our mother. They need to be our father. They need to be our lover, best friend, our business partners. You know, everything that you can imagine is, is relying on that relationship. And not everybody's really skilled specifically about, you know, how to be in a relationship. So at the beginning, obviously, there are a lot of great hormones are there also to put, bring us together. And but the psychological aspect of it, it's really that we um, see the best in the other person and we bring our best to the show. Right. So you can imagine that the best of someone and the best of the other are meeting. And that's what creates the beauty of the relationship. Then we have the concept of, you know, you know, the romantic side and the, uh, it, the honeymoon stages of anything um, changes after a while. So then we end up not playing the best. And we start looking at all the things about the other person that annoys us and is not just like ours. So at the beginning, we get excited about somebody that is less, less different than us. And they have the things that we really admire about them. And as we go into the relationship, now we want, we'll start looking at similarities and say, how come this person is not just like me? How come this person is different than me? Well, hello, of course this person is different than you. But there's a part of us that wishes and fantasizes that I would marry my clone. Like this, this person would sleep exactly the same time, eat the same things, wants the same things, everything that I do, can I have a mirror of myself so that I can feel comfortable? So as we go and experience these differences, we become righteous or we're negotiating and wanting the person to be just like us. And somewhere in there, we start really um, not accepting the other person, putting them down and uh, you know, kind of looking up to down, make wrong, and we become righteous. So it's a gradual concept. It's not like one day I go from love to hate. This space comes in. I've asked this question many times where people have had issues for many years. And then there's that one day that's like, that's it. I'm done. I'm getting a divorce. And I've always asked, how come today? Like nothing has changed. The, the same thing you've been complaining about has been going on for the past six years. What made it today? And interestingly enough, that day they lost hope for the future. And they thought, I've bargained and tried to change this up until today. So I was in a bargaining position. 
And today I put the bargaining chip down because I'm tired and I think that it's never gonna change. So that concept of the hopelessness about the future suddenly ends it. The hate goes into the place where I think that my partner is personally attacking me, personally doesn't like me and being vicious and now it's a threat. Like they're personally wanting to hurt me. And that is the truth for some people when they get angry uh, their mode of handling their anger is to take revenge. So it becomes personal and they do try to go after the other person's throat. And those are the times that you really sense that, oh my God, not only you don't love me, not only you don't care for me, but now you're after my throat. You are after the kill. And that's where the hatred shows up. It's a very difficult construct for people to go through long-term relationships. Ultimately, when people pass through this type of uh, power struggle phase and uh, work on themselves and really look at what is it that I'm bringing also from my parents? What is it that I'm bringing from my belief systems from the past? What behaviors doesn't work in this relationship? What behaviors wouldn't work in any relationship? Um, what are the strengths that I have that I'm using in other areas of my life, such, such as my work and communication skills and other areas that I can also kind of transfer into this area and uh, reconnect and attempt to accept my my mate as they are you know like there's there's some behaviors that we could change but we can't really change the personality of the other person like at one point I fell in love with this person with this personality so can I come back and another thing that I noticed Roy is sometimes when as human beings, we do this a lot, that we take for granted a lot of the great stuff. But if there's one thing that we don't like, we just zoom into this one thing and make it very much bigger. And we minimize all the other pieces of the relationship that is working. So that's also how we just put the chips on the negativity and add it, but we don't put the chips on the positivity. So it doesn't balance. Right, so we take all of the other positive things for granted as if it should be there, but this one needs to change. And then focusing only on the one, the negative part, you can see that it, you know, tilts faster and all you experience are just the negative aspects of it. And people brew this all day. They just zoom in the one thing that they don't like, brew it, brew it, make it the biggest aspects of the relationship. And at one point, it's like you lose hope for the future and you're done. Very well uh, explained. I love it. So I suppose uh, I'll start talking about some of your speaking experience. I know you've done some uh, workshops, uh, so you might explain because uh, like I, I've got the different types that you've done, intimate relationships and self-esteem. So maybe the uh, intimate relationships, because that can be kind of embarrassing for some people. And, you know, not everybody's kind of open for that. So one, organizing your workshop and two, because of the topic, how do you overcome people's shyness or, you know, ability to kind of communicate in that environment? I've noticed that um, in all of my workshops, you know, there, there are lectures I do, which um, different organizations 
um, request for, depending on their audience, ask me and I do lectures, um, societies, you know, small NGOs and societies, they ask me to do that. But when it comes to the workshops, um, I really run them experientially. And the experiential part I've noticed when people are vulnerable about something, that when they work with another person, so we, you, you know, they work with a dyad. So you put, when it comes to the exercise, they actually work with another person, not in the front of the group. After they work with another person, then I ask them to write it down. So they have two opportunities to express. One is expressing with one human being and then writing it down. And then I ask whomever chooses to share, raise your hand and choose. There's usually in the crowd one or two people who often they're, you know, they're courageous and they get up and they're extroverts and they love to uh, express themselves in front of other people. So usually those people get up and share, which gives the courage to other people that it's okay. And the only way that happens is if I've created as a speaker an environment of safety and compassion. So when that environment is there, when somebody kind of like gets up and they're like literally kind of getting naked emotionally in front of everybody, afterward, they don't feel naked. They feel like they've been they've been um, facially hugged, contained, and it was safe for them. And then from if if I as a speaker create that ambiance, then you could see also that a lot of people who are sitting in the audience will also um, embrace loving and accepting the person who got up and spoke. And then other people find the courage to get up. And some people, they're not, never wanting to do that. And it's not about even courage. They just don't choose to share publicly. But because they got the opportunity to share with another person beside them, it still releases. And because they got to share on, on a piece of paper for themselves, the expressions of whatever they've learned and experienced, it still works out for them especially in areas that we work with self-esteem because they, for self-esteem, they're looking at their own view of themselves. So most of the people have a lot of judgment about themselves or what you just talked about, about uh, you know, intimate relationship workshops. So that's how you kind of create a safety uh, zone. Also, I think from the beginning, as you are talking and explaining things, if you in your examples are also coming from a compassionate space, a non-judgmental space, as you speak or give examples, then the people who are listening to you are listening and sensing that this is a non-judgmental place. But if you wanting to be humorous or if you wanting to be, you know, using your examples and in those are a lot of negative judgments, putting people down, then obviously people around are not going to feel comfortable to share their vulnerabilities. You know, like a lot of comedians do that, but it's an entertainment. Like you're supposed to look at things uh, from a different angle, but you judge them negatively and you laugh at it or laugh with it. But that environment does not allow you to be uh, to be um, vulnerable for yourself. Like comedians, you know, I've gone to a lot of comedy shows, which, and the speakers also who want to become uh, you know, comedians. So you sit in the front row and they'll pick on you. And then the picking on you, it's an up to down power trip. Again, for 
entertainment is awesome for laugh for comedy for making things light all of those is great but if you're running seminars and workshops that is supposed to have people's vulnerability then you need to make sure that the space is safe so that they can actually open their own guards even for themselves and to go in to have the safety of checking it to have the safety of expressing it and um, I believe you're from Iran, yes? Yes, originally I'm from Iran. Yeah. I came to the US when I was 12. And um, the rest is history. I've been here. So I know that you speak Persian. And I'm just curious, like, because you've been on different shows and everything, uh, what's the difference communicating or speaking with Persian and English for you? I've had to relearn Persian in a more sophisticated way because, I, again, I went to school only, uh, you know, since I was at 12. So then everything I've learned as an adult has been in the English language. So I've had to relearn the, in the language of, you know, the Farsi, Farsi language in order to be able to uh, present um, to the academic world also. I think that there's a cultural difference where with Farsi and the Persian culture, it's um, you don't speak directly. Um, our culture is very poetic. So you kind of say things in a poetic way and on a third level. You know, it's not something like uh, like the American way is more you just talk direct. So you as you get up on the stage or you're talking to someone, you say, you know, uh, as a simple thing, if you say to somebody, would you like some coffee? They might say yes or no, and that it's yes or no. But in a Persian culture, if you say, would you like, can I bring you some coffee? And they'll first, they're supposed to say, no, 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 I don't want to bother you. It's okay, I'll get it myself. And then that means yes, right? So. It's a way of talking in a in the shadow. It's a talking and not directly. So those are the nuances that when you are trying to share things, you have to utilize a lot of poetry and a lot of side conversations and a lot of analogies and a lot of mythologies um, to bring to land it. And so it's been, I've combined the two because I'm a very strength shooter and kind of like directly share efficiency of time. But then the other one is has the beauty of art that you have to, you know, be flexible with that concept. So I've learned to, now I've combined it. It's like, I say it first, like, blah. <laughs> and then I dance around it. So I'm hoping that I will, get the audience in a way that I've handled both sides, but both the side of, you know, telling the what it is, as is, and then also skirting around it with all of the other mythologies or analogies. So that's how I'm combining the two. One of the things that what you said is so important. Um, I was learning how to go to a client's emotions when the client has resistance. So Obviously, I was learning this in English. So one of the techniques that I had learned was you mimic the client's body language. You mimic the uh, tonality of the voice. 
And you also bring the voice as it expresses the emotion that the person has. So the person is talking, but they're like, when you say, you know, what's your feeling? They're like, I don't know. So they really don't know how to name their feeling. So what you do is you express it through, you, as you mirror their emotions. But for example, if they're talking about some things that are sad, you also talk, your voice becomes like sad. Your whole body becomes sad. If they're angry, your voice becomes angry with them. You know what I'm saying? So you kind of mimic those. And then you use the words, at the, 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 the words that has the emotion, you will say it and you do that. So subconsciously, the client starts feeling the emotion and starting to release the emotion. You can't do that with Farsi because remember, Farsi goes around the topic but never talks about the emotion. So as I started doing that with my Iranian um, clients, I'm like, this technique doesn't work with, with this language. <laughs> you can't use it the same way. So you're right, that is very different. Very good. And I'm just curious because, I mean, I've, I, I'm, uh, I know somebody from Iran and I've got friends from Iraq as well. How does it feel because they seem to be shunned. You can't even open a bank account. There's like a lot of kind of, they don't trust the Iranians and all that. That must be tough for you coming from that country, the way that they actually do that. You know, it's a lot of the, like the media does it as well. You know, the way they kind of portray a country. Yes. I remember when I came, um, it, it was 1974. And uh, in the world of US, um, Iran was the Shah, the caviar, the Persian uh, cat, the Persian carpet, a gold. And it was like all of these high level royalty concepts. So the same way, you know, as we walked in, the same way they were thinking about the royalty of, let's say, England, they also was like, oh, my God, this is what's going on. Well, obviously, because of the revolution, a lot changed. And then right after the hostage taking, um, I remember many of my friends had to change their names, pretend that they weren't from Iran. Uh, they were stabbed. They were paint, you know, thrown at them. It was a mess. Special. I was I was going to Arizona State University at that time, and my friends in in the uh, Phoenix and my friends in Dallas and you know Houston. Um, there were a lot of violence that were going on in. Um, you know, because people were afraid. And the same thing you're saying that the media put in. And then obviously a couple of years ago, again, with all the things that have happened, um, there's eras that, you know, one country gets to be the villain for everyone. One thing that I noticed being here was as I was being true to myself and I was being kind, and if people were you know, angry because of their perception of a stereotype that they had created. I was trying to show that I'm not a stereotype. I'm a human being and I'm here relating to you. And Roy, it worked. It worked for me. You know, throughout the time, I never had to hide my name or hide, you know, who I was and say that I'm not from that, from my country of Iran. I've always said in my own shows, I've always said that I'm from Iran and I'm proud. I'm proud to be an Iranian American. I'm not proud of the government that is there, but I'm proud of our people. I'm proud of Iranians, wherever in the world they are, whether they're in Iran or across the globe. 
and I think it's that essence is that essence of like when I asked you where are you and you said I'm Irish and you say that with a pride you know and that's a that there's a beauty in that but again you are not the same as all the Irish people and you're not the same as what your government might may present or not present at any decade so it's more of me getting to know who you are with honoring you with the, you know, with the culture that comes, the rich culture that comes beside you. And I think that's how I feel. I'm honored by having, you know, so many thousand years, seven, eight thousand years of culture that has been handed to me by my ancestors. And to bring that with me to another country and, you know, take the best of what for example, United States has to offer me and Americans have to offer me and bring them and integrate them in a sense. So to me, it's more like we're all the same in many aspects. And there's also the beauty of the differences that we have and how we could get to know each one, you know, not only the each person, but also the, the rich culture that comes, you know, for, with that person in front of us. And that's how we know, like, how would I know Irish? How would I know the culture unless I ask you who are in front of me and is proud to be an Irish? Does that make sense? Of course, yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So I know that uh, you're a radio as well as a podcaster, but you've been, I don't know, do you still do radio uh, as well? But like, you know, some speakers would like to be doing that. Or, so what tips and tricks and what have you been doing on the radio? I presume talking about similar stuff. Yes, I think that the uh, radio is a bit different because sometimes it's alive and it's happening at that moment. So it's uh, with which podcast you could go back and listen to and not have it. It's not real time, it's any time. Um, so that makes it a little bit different because when you are on the radio, you're handling um, maybe issues that are right there. Uh, the present moment, things that are happening uh, during the world affairs or things that are appropriate. But when with, I've noticed with the podcast, many times the conversations are timeless because we're talking about human dynamic, human behaviors, and um, you can always go back and, you know, I go back into sometimes the lessons from 1960s that I'm hearing now going back in the, in, in the podcast. And they're very much relevant to today in, in that sense. Also, I think one of the differences between the radio shows is radio shows have different segments of things, you know, because people are not necessarily in the present moment listening to one conversation for a long time. But it seems like in podcasts, it's now easier to listen to like us for an hour or two hours. People can just sit down and talk for a couple of hours, but then it's different. You listen to it and you stop it, you go back, you, you listen to it again. There are many podcasts, which I, you know, it end up four segments that I've listened to because I have the possibility of doing that. So it's, I think those are the differences. Also in, in radio, because of the stations, you are limited in some of the conversations you can say, or you know, you can the languages that you could use. Those people on podcasts have no limitations. They can, you know, they use whatever they, they choose to. Obviously, you know, they'll have their ramifications and afterward also because of the supporters that may not like it. But it at least gives you the option of 
sharing your experience however that you like to. So those are the differences that I've seen. And I also do television shows, which I think those you have to be, you know, kind of like strict, <laughs> hold, hold your body language in a whole different way than when you are in a podcast or a radio and we're just kind of like recording nonchalantly. Like I asked you, can I have my coffee? You know, I can't win a television show. It's like, hey, I'm just going to have my coffee. I mean, some shows, I guess they do, but most of them we don't. So those are a little bit of the difference, but I think the content, production of the content is pretty much similar on all of them. Well, definitely with the podcast, people can come back later. But unfortunately, because I thought that we were safe with the podcast, that we could actually just get out our message, say what we want and whether people like us or not. But a friend of mine who I actually do a show weekly with, he got kicked off uh, Anchor, which is owned by Spotify. And they didn't give him any reason. Just said, you went, go against our terms and he had 70 odd shows. And they, he's been writing to him four or five times. They won't even respond to him. Just so that means all the RSS feed going to all these other platforms where people listen, gone. So I'm hoping the censorship doesn't uh, kick in there because we've seen it on other uh, channels. Is the censorship about like uh, demeaning messages or hate no, messages? Uh, no, no, because I mean, basically it, it's the Awakening podcast that I have and his is called Mind Wars and we're talking the same thing. And we're basically exposing corruption and all the fraud that's going on currently. But the only thing that he has done differently is we're looking, we, we've often talked about common law and we've had people, but he went really deep on common law, which I believe will be our savior because there's a lot of corruption that has happened against us. And the common law seems to be one of the ways we can save us. And the other thing is he had an NHS nurse whistleblower. And maybe it was that because it was two days later after that. But basically when somebody comes out and starts saying, but well, I still believe that I taught on a podcast. I mean, you listen to Joe Rogan, who was bought by Spotify. They gave him a hundred million. He's, you know, he's kind of saying what's going on and he's okay. So I don't get it, but it's something that we need to be kind of aware about. Right. I think there was a conversation also about what they call, for example, fake news, which is how can we verify? Because I think, for example, most of the radio television shows um, and, and news uh, agencies are bound to verify the news. But I think what happens also in the podcast world is that anybody can come in and talk as if it is the truth and the news, and it could be completely off or a conspiracy theory, which again, I mean, there's been a lot of conspiracy theories about a lot of stuff moving around. So I think there's a sensitivity about, is this the truth? How is it valid versus just somebody coming in, you know, sharing things and not having the ability to verify the accuracy of that. And, and um, you know, so I think that sometimes the truth gets, it might get uh, muddied over by all the people who are intentionally also creating conspiracy fake news going around. And I don't know about Poland or Ireland, but I do know that this is happening a lot in the United States. So that could be also part of the sensitivity. Yeah, well, unfortunately, what I have seen, and it's been, they've been caught out, it's all the media and the journalists that are actually the ones that are lying. And it's a lot of the people that are exposing it. And that's what they don't like. I mean, I've seen both BBC, CNN, RT in Ireland, the whole lot of them caught out in lies and nothing's done about it. And yet, you know, I wish what you had said is how it is, because 
I, it makes sense. Yeah, you don't want somebody sharing information, especially if they're talking about what you should take and it can actually affect people. That makes sense not to be able to do that, but it's the actual opposite from what I'm seeing. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> and, and I know that there was a, uh, at least in the US, I know there was also this kind of like a cancel policy that came in immediately, which is if you say something that we don't know, we're just going to cancel your show, which is something you said that, you know, it happened to your friend, uh, which the authorities of that, you know, business, whether it's Spotify or any other business who uh, they they might think that they would also be liable for the conversation that's happening. The businesses also think that I have the right to monitor my business. And if I don't like this happening around in my private business, then I'm going to say no or cancel you. So I guess the same way citizens are utilizing their rights, the businesses are also utilizing their rights. So it's the conversation of, you know, people exercising their own rights and sometimes it, it it doesn't cooperate with each other and like because i mean i i don't get much negativity to be honest with what i'm doing because i i just don't accept it anyway and i just come from a positive place i'm never going but i know that some of the people that are kind of doing something similar they get attacked and they take it personally and i've seen people they just walk away they could have a massive following and they get really or they get depressed i see some people that are doing a lot of this research and because of what they're finding out they're going down the rabbit hole they're getting so have you what kind of tips or what advice would you give to the people that let it affect i mean i just tell people watch a comedy just switch off you know just do something totally different get creative start painting or do something don't be researching researching but like from your experience what what, what would you tell people like that are getting you know letting it get into them well, I, my suggestion is because I know people are traumatizing themselves, especially over social media. And if you if you subscribe to particular social media, um, the social media is uh, kind of, you know, uh, let's say I can't even say intelligent, but it's trying to get information and kind of store it, knowing what you like and kind of give it back to you. So what you end up end up is you you get a full-on mirror of your own stuff so if you like something you're going to keep getting mirror of how great you are that you like it and if you don't like something it's going to keep coming back look at all the things that you don't like oh my god look 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 so that's not real just checking just saying it it's not real it just appears real so i think it's important to allocate a couple of different news uh, and information places that you trust and that gives you different views. So it's not only one view, but it gives you different views, but that you've checked the credibility and that you get it, that that's accurate. And go there for the source of your information so that you're not being bombarded with so many different things that are not necessarily accurate. And if it's, you hear something that is not accurate, you can always you know, have some system with those places to have a check to see if it is accurate or not. Visual things really traumatize people. So I say, stop watching the news, read the news and stop watching it. If it's really harsh, because every time you see these images that are set up to bring about your emotion excruciating emotions your body can only handle 
once or twice looking at a child dying. You know, after, if you do that, then you desensit either desensitize yourself or overwhelm yourself. So read about it because reading the words are different than visualizing. If, if reading it produces less of those overwhelmed emotions. And read specific ones. And my usually what I say is I want to know about the world. But I at this point, what is it that I can do? So for example, with what's happening in Afghanistan, I read about it and then I look at what is it that I can do? I'm not military, I'm not in politics. These are not areas. And to be honest with you, we all have opinions. So so what? It's not about, oh, I read something and I have an opinion. Okay, that's a beautiful concept, I have an opinion. But so what? Like my opinion doesn't do anything for Afghanistan. <laughs> it's my opinion. And I can share it with the people around me and I think, wow, my opinion is so significant. Really, it isn't. It's just significant for me. It entertains me, you know? So the point is, what is it that I can do? So there are a couple of things that I see I can do. I can offer therapy to the people who had come out and are in the process of immigrating. And I've done that. I wake up sometimes five o'clock in the morning, work with this particular NGO who is, you know, with the refugees and, you know, they bring some of the women and they're helping. And I, you know, uh, because I also speak, uh, Farsi and Afghan Farsi is a different than our Farsi, but we can kind of understand each other. So I speak to them in Farsi and I kind of, you know, calm them down with the trauma and let them express. So that's something I can offer. And there's so many hours that I can offer that and I do. Or I can, you know, offer donation into some of the agencies that I can help. Beyond that, I know I'm not capable of. However, if I have friends or organizations that call me and say, do you know such and such, if I can be of help, I help. So then it becomes the concept of when you are faced with something, my suggestion is look at what you are capable of doing good for the benefit of all, or you are limited in doing something. And all you're doing is giving, you know, fostering negative opinions. And how useful is this? So it's your assessment and how you are impacting the world. Are you just screwing out, you know, negativity? How is that useful? Or you're actually doing something. Unfortunately, Roy, what I've noticed is people want to feel significant. And all they do sometimes is just Blah, 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 negativity and darkness and evil around and just produce anger and hate. And I'm like, I'm not interested in playing that game. Some people are, you know, some people love boxing and some people love football and some people love volleyball. It's okay. I tend not to want to go into a boxing game and get my nose beat up or beat the crap out of somebody else. But somebody might enjoy it. And I'm sure that the people who enjoy it will probably get into a boxing ring together. And that's a different world. And some people love watching boxing. And to me, it's the same concept. Some people start talking, go, going at it and going at it. And some people get off, you know, getting really angry and enraged. And in that way, they figure I'm alive. 
great. That's, you know, that's a whole group that can entertain themselves in that world. And another group will, you know, come in and say, let's all meditate together, send peace and love. That group also is going to attend to each other in a sense, right? So the meditative peace group are going to look at the boxing group and, and the violent group and like, no, 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 you guys are not, no, no, no. And this other people will look at the, you know, uh, the meditating group and like, oh my God, no, no, no. And I think we're all going to find our groups. Listen, I love all your answers today. I thoroughly enjoyed it. So how can people get in contact with you? Well, Fujan.com, F-O-O-J-A-N.com. I really, really uh, request for people to get this book, Life Reset, and you can get it from Amazon anywhere, because this will give you the tools of how to remember what you said at the beginning of the our talk conversation together. How do you kind of calm your mind and get focused? And this book will show you, I have a systematic you go through 12 questions and then you go through a process and then you create intentionality for your future. It takes you through every area of your life, your intimate relationship, work, money, um, you know, relationship with parents, siblings, everything, yourself, your body. So it takes you through that. And uh, Roy, we did um, just the same way with the book. We did um, a research in Cal State Long Beach with four other classes. I don't know if you know, but in, in the US, and I don't know in Poland or Ireland, whether it has um, the, the group of, you know, 17 to 25 have the highest level of depression and anxiety and highest level of suicide. So we did this for that group, actually, who were in a um, first and second year of their university. And no therapist, no coach, just doing it as a self-help, the, the awareness integration model. We found 68% minimizing depression and 48% minimizing anxiety. And we raised self-esteem and self-confidence, 47%. So it really, really works. So I hope that people anywhere in the world, you know, have access to it, work it, you know, work for yourself, go through it, because we all deserve to live a fulfilled life. Absolutely. And uh, no, I, it, it's actually, I, I'm an avid reader and it's one that I'm going to get because I think uh, just listening to today is enough for me to be very interested and that's fantastic results and i think it's similar in ireland i know there's a very young age that are suicidal as well so it's something that you know hopefully the education system will start pushing stuff like that instead of the wrong things but uh, i'll put the link on the podcast description i'm going to basically this is the speaking podcast but i'm actually putting it out on the awakening as well so you can uh, find both the awakening and the meditation podcast on roycon.com be sure to give us a thumbs up a five-star rating and make sure you buy the book because you know just from listening to the conversation today i'm sure you'll enjoy it so until next week thank you very much and take care thank you thank you this podcast is sponsored by Kulabula, creators of websites, animation, and digital art. To get a 10% discount, go to kulabula.com and put in the discount code SPEAKING. Mm -hmm.